0: Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen is one of those uh, verses that is just so simple and so clear. And even though you may not understand every perhaps intricate detail of it, you get the general thrust that God is not an advocate for anyone to cover up their own sins, but is always wanting sin to be called sin, to be dealt with as sin, And that we would not cover our own sin, but rather come to God, that He would be the one to cover it. And there's a way that He does that. He will never be an advocate for it, else He would not have died for it. Uh, But He died for it because of not only the destruction that sin brings in the lives of people now, but ultimately that eternal destruction to come where sin takes people to hell And so God uh, has taught us in His Word that sin has been the very thing that has distorted the ways of God, that has um, corrupted the ways of God, that has confused the simplicity and the purity and the perfectness of the ways of God. And so God does not like sin, not even for a moment. Please understand that about the Lord. Don't misunderstand God's mercy as being some sort of toleration for sin. Don't misunderstand the Lord. Here's a clear instruction. The book of Proverbs is filled with general truths. Many uh, things as we look at even now in this verse, what we see here is a measure of cause and effect. Cause and effect. And there's a lot of things like that in the Bible where God tells us to do something and then in effect, this will happen. And so there's a this. this covers even salvation, that God calls all men everywhere to repent. And in effect, your position with God changes. And in effect, your destination, your eternal destination changes. This is simply the effect of that decision that God has called every one of us to make when we give out that heaven and hell track. Some people have said to me, oh, I choose heaven. I said, but that's not your choice. And because it says heaven or hell, it's your choice. They say, I choose heaven. I said, that's not your choice. Your choice is what are you going to do with Jesus? Because what you do with Jesus is going to determine whether you go to heaven or hell. Cause and effect. And here we have a cause and effect. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Whoso confesseth. And forsaketh them shall have mercy. Matthew Henry said this verse here, concerning this verse here, the folly of indulging sin, of palliating, or that word means to disguise the seriousness of an of an offence, the palliating or excusing of it, denying or extenuating, extenuating of it. In other words, To make it thin, to make it like it's a little thing or nothing. The diminishing or dissembling it or throwing the blame of it upon others. This is the covering of sin. To cover just simply means to cover. It's literally to cover something over. It has this idea of filling up the hollows. It can be used uh, in both the positive and negative, and we'll get there. But he that covereth his sins, specifically his transgressions, these things that are displeasing in the sight of the Lord, these things that are wrong in the sight of God, these things that have clearly broken the Word of God in some respect, these are sins. It says, shall not prosper. And the idea of prosper there is to push forward or make progress to succeed or or amount to something that is profitable, to prosper. But the opposite, he says, But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Confession is to recite toward God and man. It's simply an acknowledgement of the truth. So when we speak of confessing, what we're simply doing is acknowledging truth. That's all it is. When I am confessing to God, I am acknowledging God's truth in light of whatever He's revealed to me. And that truth has exposed something in me and I confess that to God. I acknowledge the truth of that. And whether that's toward God and man, this is simply confession. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh. and The idea here is to relinquish commitment to. It's to no longer Permit, to forsake is to part with. See you later. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. What a sweet word, mercy. Something that's been misunderstood and something that's been taken for granted. Mercy is simply to, the idea of mercy is that uh, to have compassion on. It's the idea is to have a tender affection towards that you are showing mercy uh, to someone is you are showing compassion to someone. It's not necessarily, as a matter of fact, it's mercy indicates to us that uh, it's something that is showed or something that is given or something that is demonstrated to those that in essence don't deserve it, but it is shown And it is given, you know, in uh, Luke, it even talks about God being merciful. And it says something like this. It says, for the Father is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Therefore, be merciful, even as your Father in heaven is merciful. And so what we see here is mercy, compassion, as it were, being offered to those that don't deserve it. That's what mercy is. Here, mercy is used in such a way of something that is received as a result of doing what God wanted you to do. In this sense, confessing your sin and you'll have mercy. So let's unfold the verse a little bit more. First, let's take a little bit of time thinking on the word Covering, covering, he that covereth his sins. As we already mentioned, it's to, it's, it's to cover something over, it's to fill up the hollows. He actually has a picture there of, uh, I don't know if you've ever, um, after sleeping you wake up and generally what do you find in your pillow, especially if it's a fairly old pillow, you find a bit of a, a hollow in it where your head has been. And so what do you do if you haven't flattened out that hollow? You kind of just plump up the pillow type thing. And so the idea is to fill up the hollow and, and, and to make it um, even kind of thing. And so the covering over, this word is used as we often relate it to and, and rightfully so in connection even with something being covered in the sense of even God covering our sins. And this is the idea of the atonement, that the atonement that the blood of Jesus Christ has covered or cleansed us from all sins. And so this is where the word can be used in both a positive and a negative uh, context in a positive way, already mentioning about the way of Jesus Christ or, or the way of the Lord that covers Our sins um, in Proverbs chapter 10, it says hatred stirs up strife, but love covereth all sins. Love is always seeking to not cause trouble, but to cover um, issues and and just wanting issues to be um, done with and dealt with. And this is what love seeks to do. Love seeks to cover sins, doesn't condone sins. In in that sense, but it covers it. It just wants love to prevail in that sense and have sin dealt with. First Peter 4, above all things, have fervent charity amongst yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. This is in the positive sense of a covering. This is good. Here, what we're reading in Proverbs 28 is in a negative use of the word. That if you are going to cover over your own sin you're not going to prosper. You're not going to prosper. If there's something that has been the constant accusation of the church, it's been many said many times said before. What is it? Hypocrisy. Cuz you know what hypocrisy in essence does? It covers things that really need to be dealt with for the most sense. It not only presents yourself as someone that you really aren't, what it's simply doing is with a hypocrite is you are putting on a facade that is actually covering the real you. And in this same sense, God despises that because God does not want you to cover over a matter that he wants you to actually deal with He wants to cover it for you, don't get me wrong, but He doesn't want you to cover it. Because when man covers it, and we're going to see it in a moment, they will never, ever prosper. They will never progress. And we're going to touch on that word next now, prosper. To cover over your own sin, your own transgression, and not call it for what it is and not deal with it. The Bible says you're not going to prosper. And let's focus now on this word, prosper. This idea of pushing forward, this idea of advancing or making progress to succeed, to to, to do things or amount to something that is profitable, especially in direct connection with the sight of God. Now, when we think of the word prosperity, there is a natural thing especially because of the age in which we live and especially because of true prosperity in the Bible, we connect prosperity directly and exclusively oftentimes to money. And we think if someone has money, they are prosperous. Uh, But although I'm not going to take away the element of physical prosperity in that sense, I don't believe the word is indicating a physical prosperity here, especially when we consider the context. Because we read even in the New Testament, how there are some that have, in essence, I'm paraphrasing here, chased the money and drowned themselves with many sorrows. So much so that they've even erred from the faith because they chose to serve mammon instead of God. And so don't be confused. Someone who has a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean that God is the one that has given it to them. That God is the one that is prospering them in that sense. Although, again, I don't take away from that element. But here, when we look into the Word, the Word is simply indicating here as, as, in essence, it is genuinely moving on in life and moving on with the Lord. It's to be profitable toward the cause of the Lord, in essence, and to be profitable in all things that is set before you in that God has prospered you. And so when you cover over your own sin, when you don't deal with your own sin, when you don't call your own sin for what it is and, and, and you want to just cover over it and, and, sh- and shove it under the carpet and, and, and set it aside and not, and not face it, and you want to try and move on with life, my friend, you're moving on without the Lord. God is not with you in the sense that God will not prosper you. God is not going to be the one that is going to be leading and guiding and and, and helping you to progress in the will of God and in the cause of God and in the work of God. You will not prosper. To prosper is to have the Lord with you and working and leading and guiding. Matthew Henry says, He that thus covers his sins shall not prosper. Let him never expect it. He shall not succeed in his endeavor to cover his sin, for it will be discovered sooner or later. There is nothing hid which shall not be revealed. And isn't that true? how oftentimes we don't deal with our sin. We cover it over, as it were. We just put it under the carpet. We don't deal with it. We don't call it for what it is. And we try and move on with life. But guess what starts to happen later on down the track? And God knows how long later on down the track, whether it's immediately thereafter or in a little while thereafter, it comes out. And what God oftentimes, and I share this by experience, not to say I've been saved, I've been saved for eight years now, almost nine. And I share this already by experience, how I have seen God mercifully seek to uncover and deal with sin in my life and in people's life is he will arrest you on his word. Or He'll get the preacher to preach something that is touching on the very thing that you are trying to cover over. The very thing that you are not dealing with. The very thing that you have tried to set aside and to undermine. And God in His mercy tries to appeal to you and appeal to you and appeal to you and appeal to you before He just brings it out before the congregation. He brings it out in the open where whether you like it or not, it has been uncovered. And all that you and I know is going to be uncovered in the day of judgment and what a fearful thing that's going to be. If you've thought you've you've done yourself well, that you've kept it covered until then, my friend, you have another thing coming. There are many reasons and many ways that we can create instead of just dealing with our sins. We try to avoid the person that we have an issue with or that has an issue with us. And we're trying to escape and avoid the, the, the dealing with it. We undermine the issue or disguise the serious offense as if it was nothing. You know, like the world says, oh, look, everyone makes mistakes, don't they? You know, you just kind of learn from your past. And although there's an element of truth to that, but you and I know in relation to sin, what are they doing? making sin out to be oh just a little slip up, when that was the very thing that God created a hell for, it's not just a little slip up in the sight of God, it's sin. And you know what's sad when those that seek to avoid their issues and not deal with it, for those that don't call sin for what it is and face it, for those that seek to justify it or for those that seek to undermine the seriousness of it and the disgust of it, well, then then excuses start to come out. It's just too hard to deal with. I just can't handle this now. Oh, man, this is just my weakness. I really have always struggled with this. Oh, if only they didn't say, and if only they didn't do, you know, why did you? It's all because of, that's what happens when you don't want to deal with your sin. And that's exactly, the Bible tells us, what Adam did. In Job, it indicates to us, it says, if I covered my transgressions as Adam by hiding my iniquity in my Bosom, Eve, God, it was the woman you gave me. Friends, covering your own sin, excusing your own sin, trying to pass off the reason for your sin as being the cause of something or someone else. You will never prosper. You will never progress. You will never move on in this life and you will never move on In the Lord and with the Lord. You will try and just go on with your days, but my friends, there will be a frustration and agitation. There will be a lack there, something, a sense of something missing or something not right, a sense of emptiness, as it were, a lack of satisfaction. And so what happens instead of just dealing with the sin that is causing the child of God to disrupt his fellowship with the Lord or causing a sinner that is still not yet saved to grow further and further away from God instead of dealing with it. We start to try and cover it over by taking up a new hobby. We try and start to cover it over by by starting another career. or We we try and start to cover it over by perhaps uh, moving geographically and have a new beginning. Those things can never cover your sins. Those things will never deal with the problem Those things will never, ever permit you to prosper. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. One thing I have seen already in my life and one thing I see in Scripture. When you cover your sins over without dealing with them biblically, you start to veer away from speaking about repentance in its true light. You are so shallow on repentance you are so weak and almost avoiding the very word because what repentance calls us to is to acknowledge our sin and to deal with our sin. You convince, you can't convince others of the abomination of sin. Why? Because you are avoiding calling sin for what it is in your life and so you call sin for what it is in other people's life like you call it in your life. Oh man, we all struggle with that. It's all good, bro. Let's just get up and try and keep going, man. Maybe one day, whatever the case may be. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. And i know uh, there's many other ways that we can do that, but that's the reality. You can't encourage others of calling sin for what it is and getting right with God and how God is displeased with it and God is not okay with it. You can never say to someone, friend, if you don't repent from that, God will not prosper you. And the reason why you don't say that is because you know it's in your life and you don't want to face the fact that, what do you mean God won't prosper me? No, no, no. no, no it's just sin. It's under the blood. It's all good. Let's keep going. no. And you do it again. Oh, I did it again. Sorry, Lord. But you're not dealing with it. And you're not calling it for what it is. And that's why you'll never call it for what it is in someone else's life. And that's why when that one perhaps may finally come to the place where they genuinely want help and might seek you for some uh, advice or, or, or just finally confide and, and confess in that sense a step in the right direction, taking the, uh, you know, giving benefit of the doubt to, to come to, to, for you to point them to God and confess it and deal with it before God. Instead, what they find is, yeah, bro, look, I struggle with the same thing, man. You know how that discouraging that is? We're we'll speaking to a senior man who uh, confesses to be a believer and, um, you know, he was part of a, a a group or a movement, anyway. You know, I know this is maybe shallow, but you know, a group or a movement, um, in more or less, um, uh, doesn't line up with the scriptures. But he would, he would, he was telling us about young men that would read the scriptures and see what the scripture says, and there were sins in their life, particularly relating to. Pornography, or particularly re- relating to lustfulness, or particularly relating to to, to to things of that nature, and they would seek the older men for advice and for counsel and for some sort of something, and they'd go and they'd um and they'd say, look, you know, do you, what did you do for this, and how do you, you know, I'm struggling with this, and what do you do? Only to find that these older men confessing in some ways that look, we're men and we all struggle with it. That's disgusting. Whether it's a movement that doesn't line up with the Word of God, or whether it's a people that say that we're upholding the Word of God, my friends, it has crept into Christendom and it is absolutely disgusting and an undermining of sin. And that is absolutely discouraging for someone who genuinely wants to overcome that thing and genuinely wants to grow in God. But because we have generations and generations of people that cover over their sin and don't deal with their sin, the next generation is learning to cover over their sin and not deal with their sin. And the generation after that is learning the same thing. And the generation after that is learning the same thing. And this is exactly not in just that particular area, but the, the, the thrust that took place in the life of Israel. And they went so far that God said enough and sent them into captivity. Covering over your sins never benefits anyone and never, ever benefits the cause of Christ. You can't exhort people to grow in Christ because your example manifests a God who will tolerate and overlook sin and undermine the iniquity of sin. Matthew Henry says, He shall not prosper. That is, he shall not obtain the pardon of his sin, nor can he have any true peace of conscience. David owns himself to have been in a constant agitation while he covered his sins. And this is the testimony of David. Turn with me to Psalm 32. I want us to see what it looks like and what takes place in some respects, whether you like it or not. And and no amount of positiveness can ever prevail of the disturbance that takes place within the soul of the man that grows as time progresses, whether you're saved or not saved. My friend, that conscience will get the better, better of you, that guilt will get the better of you, that will overcome you and no matter what you try to cover over it and appease it, it will never cover it. Look here, Psalm 32, he speaks of a victory as gain and and a fundamental truth that ought to bring comfort to our hearts, not to be taken granted. Psalm 32, verse one, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Praise God, that's a blessed man, he's saying. This is the positive use of the word. Verse 2. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. We'll get to that more so a little bit later on. Now notice verse 3 and 4. Look at this confession. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought drought of summer. Selah, think on that. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin unto thee and mine iniquity have I not hid. I didn't cover it over anymore. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, think on that, Selah. My friends, what you often find, and perhaps you can testify of it, you and I probably know certain ones that were in sin. And you and I probably know certain ones that were covering their sin or covering it over in such a way like they're trying to move on with life and they've put on a facade, they've become hypocrites and they're just kind of going on with life and appearing that they're going on with the Lord, but they're not. And it's not until they finally come to a place where they get right with God and you see a change take place. Not necessarily that they got saved, although it may be the case for some, But there was something of a renewed joy upon their life. That joy of salvation was restored unto them. And what takes place oftentimes when their relationship with God has been restored, you will often hear a confession come out that we did not know was taking place in their heart. We know it by faith, but we didn't know it in reality. And they may say something like this. I was absolutely miserable the whole time. When people saw me smiling, I was trying so hard to put the smile on my face because inside I was absolutely empty. I knew I wasn't right with God. I knew I was justifying my sin. I knew I wasn't dealing with it and I was getting worse and worse and worse. And oftentimes you hear these things come out after they get right with God. And this is what we're reading here in the psalmist. David testifying what was taking place, the turmoil within him before he got right with God. But then he goes on to testify and say, more or less, what a God. What a God. And my friend, that man that covers his own sin does not prosper. You want true blessing? You want true prosperity as it were? Blessed is the man. In whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Praise God for the fact that God forgives sinners. That if you come to Him, He's not going to cast you off and set you aside. God has not made it hard for you to come to Him to confess your sin to Him. That display on that cross, that demonstration of love set forth before the whole world. Was not so people can feel guilty about their sin, but to help them see what a God is this that done such an act as this. Because He wants so much to forgive sins. The devil and the world and the flesh convinces you of oh, don't come to God, you've done it again. He's a holy God. You are unholy. He is pure. Look at your sin. You want to bring it before Him? No, don't even bother. Look how pleasurable it is anyway. Isn't that nice? You can do what you want. Aren't you free? Oh, my friend. A rebel thinks he's free only to realize he's actually a slave to sin. And you'll never see fully how much of a slave to sin until you've been set free from your sin when you get saved. This is the reality. This is the confession. This is the testimony that we have before us. My friends, God wants to cover your sin, but if you're going to try and cover it, I don't know how long you're going to last, but if you're going to try and cover it over again and again and again, you're not going to prosper. You will never progress. You'll never move on. You'll never ever be able to just Leave it. It'll always haunt you. And you're going to cover it, but it'll always come back until you deal with it. This is the blessing for the child of God. That's given to us, brothers and sisters. Aren't you glad that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And on these promises that we have, according uh, to Corinthians, where where Paul is exhorting the believers of the blessings we have in Christ. And he's saying, having these these, these promises, therefore, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's go on and prosper, as it were. Let us cleanse ourselves from more filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Confess it to God. And He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what those sins of the Spirit are? Those sins of the Spirit are the most subtle kind. Those sins of the Spirit are the kind are of the that we often set aside and cover over and not deal with. Those sins of the Spirit are those things that are taking place within and hasn't more or less taken place without. Those sins of the Spirit are things like pride. Those sins of the Spirit are things like anger. Things like bitterness. Things like frustration. Things like Lust, that actually all takes place within. This is where it begins. It's talking about attitudes. And my friend, how often we have covered over sins of the Spirit with a smile. Oh, it's all good. No, I love you. But you didn't confess the fact that I'm so sorry. I was angry with you. I am so sorry. I was actually bitter towards you. I am so sorry. And we don't call it for what it is because we cover it over. And praise God that it hasn't come out. And praise God that you can take it to the Lord and deal with it then. But my friend, if you let it go on, you will not prosper. You won't. You'll never prosper. And I have found oftentimes, and this is only personal experience, I say this not authoritatively. But oftentimes when you keep those things in long enough, when you have harbored something toward another long enough and they have no idea, God might bring you to a point in such a, to such a point where He wants you now to go directly to them and confess it. That you've been bitter toward them and ask their forgiveness. And it's not a confession that I just want you to know I'm angry and I want you to know that I have a problem with you. Forgive me. That's not a true confession and we'll get there. My friend, this is the same thing. This is the same truth in relation to salvation. When people do not want to call their sin for what it is, when people do not, as my brother prayed and as the scripture says, want to come to the light that their deeds would be reproved, My friend, you're going to die in your sin and end up in hell. It's the same truth covering salvation. That those that don't want to confess their sins are going to die in their sins. That those that don't want to acknowledge their sins before the Lord will never come to Jesus to be saved from their sins. And it's not until you see your sin for what it is and you acknowledge your sin for what it is, then you would come and confess your sin for what it is and see your need for the Saviour and why He did what He did. And this is why people die and go to hell because they don't come to Jesus to be saved because they don't see their need to be saved. Because they don't see their sin for what it is. Because like society has done, and like their fathers and forefathers and forefathers have done, just covered sin over and over and over again. And we see it in the education system today. Covering sin, undermining sin, educating you on how to sin safely. My friends, it's all around us. Let's not be ignorant. And it's the very things that send people to hell because they do not acknowledge their sin before God. You shall not prosper. But then we see also examples of prosperity. And I want us to see this. We see concerning Joseph. Uh, You can come and get the scriptures later on, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to say them to you. We see Joseph and we see here when he was imprisoned because he was accused falsely for doing something with Potiphar's wife that he did not do. As a matter of fact, she was the one that was pushing for it. And he was the one that kept rejecting her. And then when she, find, she found an occasion where there was no one around, she grabbed him and wanted to really force him to lay with her. And he got right out of there. But he was falsely accused. And he was put in prison for it. But the demonstration that we see there is something marvelous. The Bible says in Genesis 39... It says, and Joseph's master took him, verse 20, and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound and he was there in prison. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand. He trusted everything he committed to him. And it tells us, see, because the Lord was with him and that he that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. This is what Proverbs 28 verse 13 is talking about. Here we see the verse demonstrated in Joshua chapter 1. Moses encouraging Joshua. He says, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayst observe to do all the law which Moses, my servant, uh, which, excuse me, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee, the Lord speaking to Joshua, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and now that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success have not i commanded thee verse 9 be strong and of a good courage be not afraid neither be thou dismayed for the lord thy god is with thee whithersoever thou goest this is the prosperity that god wants upon the children of God. And this was the prosperity that Paul wished. On the Bible says in 3rd John on the well-beloved Gaius or Gaius, however you pronounce it, that he wished that he would prosper and be in health. And brothers and sisters, I wish upon you all too, that you may prosper and be in health in the will of God, according to the word of God. This is the prosperity we see in the scripture that the Lord is with you on the second half of the verse in Proverbs chapter 28 but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy shall have mercy confession as already defined is to recite toward God and man where necessary it's simply the acknowledgement of truth calling the fact and when the thing comes, when the truth comes that exposes the thing that needs to be acknowledged, then confess it. Confess it. We read in Nehemiah chapter 9, after the wall was built where Ezra was preaching, and listen to this, in Nehemiah chapter 9, we, we see here uh, after that, that the wall was built and Ezra was preaching, it says that the children of Israel were assembled with fasting, with sackcloths, which is a sign of repentance, and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers, and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law. Of the Lord their God, one fourth part of the day. Think about that. For a quarter of the day. And another fourth part, they confessed and worshipped their God. They confessed and worshipped their God. You know why that's so strange to us? Because we are polluted with a positive mindset generation. Don't be negative, man. Be positive. Speaking positiveness. And don't be negative, focusing on sin like that. My friend, this is the reason why we are in a generation that is not prospering. This is why individuals don't prosper. This is why in a general sense, when we look in a general sense upon the churches of God, it's a reproach and shame to the name of Christ. Some things we are privy to and some things we know not. But we know it's a shame. You know why? Because a confession of sin an acknowledgement of sin like this is so lacking. When the Word of God does what it is intended to do and it brings you on your face. When was the last time you read the Word of God Or heard the preaching of the Word of God that touched on your sin and your heart was pricked in such a way where you were forced more or less to confess it before God. When was the last time you allowed the Word of God to do that to you? When was the last time you let the Word of God expose you and helped you to see where God is showing you where you stand with Him? Not where others are telling you you're all good with God, man but where God is showing you when you stand with Him and where God is showing your deeds to be evil in the light of His Word, in the light of preaching, in the light of His holiness. When was the last time you allowed Him to do that and allowed Him to bring you to your face? When was the last time you trembled at the Word of God like that? When was the last time you came to the place and stayed as long as you need to confessing your sin, not caring what others thought? This is what was taking place. My friends, think of the display of Israel there before you for a quarter part of the day, confessing their sins. Can you imagine that? Can you picture that? This is what invites the blessing and the prospering of God upon the people of God. What a marvelous thing. What a marvelous sight. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. Here we have a prayer of Daniel when he remembered that God in essence was bringing judgment upon uh, the people of God. and, and, And it talks, my friend, it talks about a time of desolation upon the people of God. And Daniel knowing this and Daniel realizing this and Daniel acknowledging this came to the place of fasting and prayer. And in Daniel chapter uh, 9, in verse 3, he says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments. Look at this. What's that first word there? We, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from the precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto the servants, the prophets, which spake in the name, in thy name, excuse me, to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. He says, O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us, confusion of faces. Confusion of faces in reference to shame. He's saying, Lord, righteousness belongs to you. You've done nothing wrong, but to us, shame. And why I point out the word we here is not indicating to us that Daniel is confessing in in, in a sense that he is the one that has hardened his heart against the word of God. But what he is doing and what we see by way of demonstration, by every genuine man of God, by everyone that we see that is, that is governed by God and governed by the Spirit of God, he does not separate himself from the brethren in any way, but often pleads even on their behalf, not ashamed to identify with them. He loves them. There is brothers and sisters saying, God, forgive us. Forgive us. Because Daniel's not just in it for himself and wanting the best of himself and just, just forgive me. And the Bible teaches us to say, forgive me when I have sinned against God. But when there's a general thing there prevailing, saying, God, forgive us. Because Daniel wants the people of God to prosper, not just himself, the people of God. He was not just wanting to go on and see you later. We have sinned. But acknowledging it, confessing it, not undermining it, you're right, we're not. Shame on us. Confusion of faces belongs to us, Lord. It says it again, verse 8. Oh Lord, to us belongs confusion of face. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercies and forgiveness. Nothing, no problem on your side, God. You are a merciful God. You are a righteous God. You are a forgiving God. Though we have rebelled against him. Confession. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before, uh, before us by his servants, the prophets. Look at verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord, our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand the truth. You know what he's saying there? They covered their sins and didn't come and confess them. We did not come and make our prayer before the Lord, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Look, verse 14. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us, for because they covered their sins, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. God is not unrighteous in what he did. This is what we. Cause to come upon us. Cause and effect. This is the effect. Why? For we obeyed not His voice. This is why there's trouble. This is why there's problems. This is why we are not prospering as it were. Acknowledging it. We have sinned. We have done wickedly at the end of verse 15, verse 16, because at the end of verse 16, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to all that are about us. But then Daniel pleads for forgiveness, not because he was deserving of it, but look at the end of verse 17. Look at those words there for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Verse 18, O my God, incline thine ear and hear and open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, he, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do defer not. Look at this. For thine own sake. Oh, my God, for thy city and for thy people are called by thy name. You know what Daniel's saying? God, you are merciful. You are forgiving. You are righteous and holy. And he's saying, God, everyone knows that we are your people. Everyone knows that we are, as it says elsewhere, the perfection of, of, of beauty. Look what's happened to her. They've become a hissing. He says, God, in essence, everyone knows this. So for thy name's sake, Lord, for your sake, for your glory, as it were. Father, have mercy on us and forgive us. Forgive us, your people. What a heart. What a man. And this is where we see confession in great detail. It's not undermined. It's confessed. It's acknowledged. He acknowledged the fact he acknowledged the personal fault. And so ought we. Brothers and sisters, here we see a demonstration. Call sin for what it is. That's not God's fault. They never blame God for it. He's a righteous God. He does all things well. It's not because of Him. Confess your sin. Confess the fact. Acknowledge your fault before the Lord and even before others if you must. Acknowledge clearly with sufficient detail, especially if you're confessing something to someone else. Don't leave the person wondering, what are you saying sorry for? Have you ever had someone say sorry to you in that way? Where, yes, there's a problem there or there was an issue and they just come up to you and say, man, I'm so sorry. Can you forgive me? Of course, man, forgiveness. God wants us to forgive. I'm always ready to forgive. But then when you say, you know, what are you saying sorry for? They'll say like, oh, here we go. You know what that shows? They're not sorry. You know what that shows? A shallow confession and a shallow repentance, not a genuine one. It's almost like something like we see it in King Ahab. King Ahab, when he had these 400 prophets saying to to, to King Jehoshaphat, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper. Go and prosper. Go and prosper. Go and prosper. Go up against the enemy. 400. And there's this display. They're putting on these horns and saying, look, you're going to prosper like this. Go and prosper. Joseph said, surely there's another, there's there's, there's a prophet of the Lord somewhere. Surely there's someone else. And Ahab says, oh, there is someone else. I can almost hear his voice. It's Micaiah, but I hate him. Oh, it's true. He hates him. What a confession, mate. That's Good on you, Ahab. That's a true confession. But he wasn't confessing in such a way because he was actually sorry for it. And then he goes on to say, he's always prophesying evil against me. He's always got an issue with Micaiah because he thinks Micaiah is the problem when Micaiah is just simply telling Ahab what God is saying. And those that say sorry... And don't want to talk about what they're sorry about and aren't specific about what they're sorry about. And leave that other person wondering, what are you actually sorry for? Aren't really sorry about their sin, especially when that person wants to clarify. So what are you saying sorry about? Maybe the person has no idea what you're saying sorry about. And then they get upset again. You know why? Because they're not really sorry. And that heart comes out. It's a false repentance. It's not a calling sin for what it is. It's not a clearing of yourself like the Corinthians cleared themselves in confessing their sins and changing their ways. It's kind of like Saul. Something so shallow saying, I've sinned, honor me now. Yeah, i sinned, but let's get on with it. In essence, I'm sorry, let's keep on with the prosperity now. And when he was confronted of his sin, when he clearly disobeyed, when he said, wait for Samuel to come to make the offering and sacrifice, and he didn't, and then he justified saying, Look, the people were getting hesitant and I didn't know what to do, so I just did it. He says, M-. And then that was when the kingdom was stripped from him. Because Saul disobeyed and then went on to justify his sin instead of confessing his sin. And then instead of calling his sin for what it is, what we read of in 1 Samuel 15, a couple chapters later, the next event, instead of dealing with his sin there and moving on with the Lord, what he did was he covered it over and he moved on with life, as it were, and he received another instruction to go and wipe out the Amalekites, which was the judgment of God upon them for their wickedness and spare no one and nothing Saul comes back with the king. And then he says the bow has the boldness to say that, that he, 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 he did what God said when he didn't do what God said. He had the boldness to say, I've performed the commandment of the Lord. I've done what God said, but he didn't. He says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, but he didn't. And then when he did not acknowledge his sin from there, you see a decline start to take place. He started to say, I did what God said when he didn't do what God said. And not even acknowledging that he did what God said. When he may come to a place when, you've, when he was persisted with by Samuel, where there was a measure. Okay, I didn't do what God said, but he didn't, he didn't say I didn't do what God said. He just went on to take other excuses He says, I sinned because I was scared of the people. Forgive me, honour me now. And let's get on with worship. My friend, this is what I see the decline of sin does. Someone who doesn't confess their sin and covers it over, there's a decline. And they go and they don't deal with it and they justify it. And then after justify it, they go so far as to say, no, I'm doing the Word of God, but they're not doing the Word of God. And they're getting worse. And then when you finally persist with them to a place where you say, no, you're not. This is what the Word of God says. And you're not lining up with the Word of God. And you're not obeying what God says. And then they go on to make an excuse. Well, this and this and this and this and that. And that's the problem. So forgive me, Anonymy now. And let's get on with worship. Come on, let's move on with the bigger picture, man. My friend, when you don't deal with your sin, cover it over instead of confessing it. There's a serious decline that starts taking place and it just got worse from, from there on for Saul. So much so that that was it. The kingdom did get stripped from him and he's lost his life for it. And God, in essence, really did not minister to Saul, was not with Saul because of it. This is the problem. When it's a shallow confession with no genuine forsaking, as we're going to get to. Call anger for anger, brothers and sisters. Call lust for lust. Call fornication for fornication. Call adultery for adultery. Call hatred for hatred. Call being slothful for slothful. Call pride for pride. Call inordinate affections, your lusts that are unbridled, that you're not bringing into subjection, call it for what it is. Call bitterness with bitterness. If you're bitter with your wife, call it for what it is. If you're bitter with your husband, call it for what it is. If you're bitter with your children, call it for what it is. If you're bitter with the pastor, if you're bitter with the brother, if you're bitter with the sister, call it for what it is. Don't cover it over, confess it. We were talking about it the other, the other night. I forget how you, how'd you word it, Elizabeth? You, when you, you, something about you, when you say it, when you're guilty of it, and you want to undermine it, when you are boiling up inside and you are saying, you know, that just kind of frustrated me a little bit. But inside you're actually, no, you know what? I was actually angry. And this is what we do when we don't call it for what it is. We undermine it, we reduce it. And then things that are clearly sin all of a sudden are not so clear anymore. And I'm working it out. You know why you're working it out? Because you want to entertain it more in your life. This is what happens naturally, brothers and sisters. Because we don't call it for what it is. And we've not been what, we're, we're no longer wise concerning good and simple concerning evil. Call it for what it is. And then he goes on. To confesseth and forsaketh. Forsaketh to relinquish commitment to. To no longer permit to part with it. To part with it. Friends, this is the fruit of true repentance. The fruit of true repentance is shown forth by your life that you have parted with the thing you are confessing. Like in Isaiah says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. Part with it. See you later. I'm done with it. I don't want it anymore. And say like Paul says, I'm crucified to the world and the world is crucified unto me. I'm done with it. I'm not a servant to sin anymore. I'm a servant to righteousness and the true and living God. Part with it and make your part and fellowship with God that you may have mercy. Forsake it. Deal with it. Confess it, get rid of it. And you have compassion. You will receive, as it were, the affectionate and tender mercies of God bestowed upon your life. The face of God will shine upon you. And my friend, you will grow and go on in life and with the Lord in the will of God. We see that take place in the repentance of Ahab. The Bible tells us, that God had mercy on such a one like this. It actually says that that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. This is Ahab. This is the testimony recorded in Scripture of him. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, who whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. Oftentimes you'll find Sadly enough, I don't know about you, but you you often find the woman's not innocent either. But anyway, focusing on Ahab, the Bible says that it came to pass when Ahab heard, in essence, the judgment of God that was going to come upon them because of his wickedness, when the Word of God, if I can say it that way, reached the ears of Ahab and realized what God was going to do in judgment because of his sin that snapped Ahab into such a state that he realized his sin. And then he says, came to pass after Ahab heard those words, that he rent his clothes. That was an outward sign of an inward repentance, according to the Bible and put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went softly. And went softly. And you know what happened after that? The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days. But in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. He had mercy upon Ahab. We read of King Manasseh or Manasseh. The Bible says in Second Chronicles 33, he says, The Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but listen, they would not hearken They won't listen. They wouldn't take heed. The word of God was not affecting them and piercing them. They weren't obeying the commandments of the Lord. They weren't doing the word of God. And so the Bible says, Wherefore the Lord brought upon them captains of the host of the kings of Assyria and took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. What shame and reproach and what affliction came upon him because he did not hearken to the word of God. He says, And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. And he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord He was God. A man that refused to obey the word of the Lord suffered greatly for it. But in the midst of that suffering, he cried out to God. And what did God do? He had mercy. He had mercy and he brought him back into his kingdom, into the kingdom. This is what it looks like And this is what brings light, I believe, in some respects to what the psalmist says. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me you know sometimes God knows when some of his children need to learn the hard way and God knows when some need to go so far to have their own way and the consequence of their own way but God is not saying in essence I'm done with you and kick you to the curb in such a way that he did not want to forgive you and does not want to forgive you but my friends if you want your way then there's going to be a consequence for it. and you know what the scariest consequence is the Lord will not prosper you. The Lord will not be with you in what you do. The Lord will not bless you and the Lord will not guide you. And the Lord is not with you in that sense, in that sense. William MacDonald says, even in relation to this whole verse, how even relates to the child of God and relates to the unsafe person. He says, there are two kinds of forgiveness. Judicial and parental. When we trust Christ as our Lord and Saviour, we receive forgiveness from the penalty of sins. This is judicial forgiveness. When we as believers confess our sins, we receive parental forgiveness. This maintains fellowship with God, our Father. There is no blessing for the person who covers his sins. That is, who refuses to drag them out into the light and to confess them to God and to anyone else who has been wronged. But anyone who confesses and forsakes his sins has the assurance that God not only forgives, but forgets in the sense that as far as the East is from the West, so far shall your transgressions be removed from you. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute. Sin. Bible says, "I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgression for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. This is where we get God forgives and forgave, forgets. He will never hold it against you. He will never bring you under judgment for it. Who is a like God? Who is a God like unto thee? That pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. God delights in mercy, brothers and sisters. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of The sea. God will forgive you, but you must confess it and you must forsake it and you will have mercy. What a wonderful thing that God does not want us to be judged on our sins and He doesn't want us to suffer for our sins. He does not want us to run and try and deal with those sins like Adam and Eve did with their little fig leaves. My friends, God wants to cover you. God wants to forgive you. God wants to have mercy upon you. You know why? Because He delights in it. Let's look at Proverbs 28, verse 13, together one more time and read it together in conclusion. Proverbs 28, verse 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Let me invite you, brothers and sisters, if there's something you've been covering, I want to invite you to come before God and confess it. And if you must speak to someone that you need to confess a thing to, then I want to encourage you to go make right with your brother or sister or whoever it may be. And if you're here amongst us and you have covered your sin up until now and somehow convinced yourself that either God cannot see it or God is tolerating it in your life, my friend, do not provoke the Lord to wrath. Do not provoke him to anger in that way. And I want to encourage you. He is not a God that is desiring you to be condemned and a God that is desiring you to fall under the weight of your own sin and the judgment that will come upon you because of it. He is a God that delights in mercy. He is a God that delights in forgiveness. You know, you know how I know how much He delights in it? He came all the way from heaven To make a way for it. He will forgive you. He will forgive you. If only you would come to Him. And call it for what it is. And look to Him. To be saved. Let's pray. I just want to give you a time to respond to the Lord. And I want to encourage you to respond to the Lord. And don't just let this pass by. And whether you need to come and get right and have that fellowship restored with God or you need to come before God and say, God, I, know I need to go speak to my brother or my sister and I need that fellowship to be restored there. Then I want to you, encourage you to just commit that to the Lord and ask Him to help you. Maybe it's a brother or brothers or sister or sisters or whoever it is. I want to encourage you to ask the Lord's help and commit it to Him that, that you're going to go ahead and do it. And if you need to get right with the Lord, and I mean get right in such a way where you need to either get saved or get surrendered, either one or the same thing, and there's been something there that's been stopping you from doing that, that you have allowed your sin to keep you from getting saved, I want to encourage you to come before God and confess it and forsake it. Oh, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul?